Well, good morning, church. Man, so glad that you guys are here today. What an exciting time to be together to worship uh, our risen Savior, one with another, the family of God coming together on the first day of the week to reap the blessing, uh, to be a part of a family. Amen. Uh, we, we rejoice in the fact that we have a Savior who loves us, who went to, to bad for us, who died on the cross, who was risen from the grave, and we celebrate that empty grave because that means he's conquered everything, and because of that, we rejoice that we are called alongside him to be sons and daughters of the King. Uh, thank you if you're a guest with us today for being here. We're truly honored you're a part of our service. And of course, our hope would be if you're looking for a place to call home for your church, we'd love for you to consider Cross Point uh, and jump in with us telling the story of hope that is Jesus Christ. We would love for you uh, to be able, along with us, to say, you know, God is enough, Jesus Christ has done enough, and because of that, I want to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. I want to give him the gift sets uh, that he's given me and say, God, use me in your story how you see fit. I want to be a part of what you're doing in the world. We would invite you into that story to help us tell that message of hope that is Jesus Christ. I know that we've got a couple of families this morning who are placing membership. Noel was at uh, first service with Dawson and uh, she's uh, gone home. She'll be back for the meal, she said at lunch. But I do want to make uh, you aware the Thomases are here this morning placing membership. You guys stand up if you would. Uh, that's uh, uh, Dre, Martha, Raven, and Tristan. Right back here. You know, we've been praying for Tristan. We'll continue to do so in his uh, cancer recovery. And uh, he was here last night at the youth event, I understand. Uh, and uh, we're glad to have them as part of our church family officially and uh, jump in and start telling that story. We are um, going to start a brand new series today out of 1 John. And so I hope you've got your Bibles and we'll turn with me there. We'll be there in just a few moments. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation when we do get there. All of our text will be on the screen, uh, of course. Uh, and this is going to be a several-week series, and so I hope that you'll be here. It's only five chapters, and I want to encourage you uh, from this week forward uh, that you get into the Word of God uh, and read First John, Second John, and Third John. It's only a total of seven chapters. I think you and I can do the math. We can, we can do that in a week, can't we? Uh, first chapter is only ten verses long, and so you and I can tackle that fairly easily. But I want to encourage you each week to go through, read all three of those letters, You'll gain some uh, wisdom along the way, but then you'll bring something every Sunday uh, that you've learned from the Word of God uh, to kind of mesh in between the pages of our time together in God's Word on Sunday morning. Uh, so make sure and do that. But I do hope you've got your Bibles out. There's going to be a few moments I want to ask you to circle something, underline it, asterisk, because it's going to be some important things that you and I need to know in our walk with Jesus Christ, in our walk and journey through this life as people that are claiming to be followers of Christ, some important things that you and I need to know in our journey. But before we begin, I want to make sure that uh, we understand uh, who wrote 1 John, why it was written, and uh, the context uh, so that we'll get a better understanding and feel for why John is writing what he is. John is, uh, by tradition, the last remaining apostle. Uh, he is very old when he writes the Gospel of John uh, and 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and the book of Revelation. Uh, and in that, we can see the wisdom that he's gained along the way. Uh, most scholars believe that the Gospel of John was written about 85 to 95 A.D., somewhere in that range. Uh, and so Jesus uh, has been gone from the earth for roughly 60 years, and John is trying to get the world in the Gospel of John to believe in the Messiah, to believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, 
and reveal that to the world around them so they too can come into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Now, the difference in 1 John and the Gospel of John is in 1 John, John is combating some false teaching that's going on in the church, and he wants to correct that. He wants to make sure the church understands uh, who Jesus Christ truly was. And in our journey together as people of God, what we're called to live, how we're called to live with one another, uh, loving one another, but also dedicating our life to God and loving him in the process. So John wants to consolidate all that, confirm all of that. Uh, I don't know if you've ever read 2 John or 3 John, but they're one chapter, if you want to call them a chapter, uh, a few verses there put together, and they don't really make a lot of sense standing alone. However, if you put all three of those together, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, uh, put them together, you realize that they can be taken really in one whole chunk like that. The idea that John is writing, and he writes 1 John about 95 A.D., uh, is First uh, John is really a sermon. It's really a homily. And he is passing this letter around to the churches in Asia Minor. John did a lot of his work uh, out of the, the town of Ephesus. Uh, we, we can tell that by the way that some of the writing was done. He's writing to other church house churches that are in that area as well in other towns. Uh, you can see some of those listed as he writes Revelation in chapter 2 and 3, and he calls some of those churches out. But he wants to make sure the church understands who Jesus Christ really was and what we have as a blessing because of Jesus Christ. Um, he's battling a couple of things uh, in this first century church, but uh, he's got to get that message around. So he writes this homily in 1 John, this sermon, if you will. 2 John is really a cover letter for that, uh, that sending out, that sermon. And then 3 John is really a reference letter for the guy who is delivering this message to all the other churches. Now, why would someone need a reference letter from the Apostle John? Well, it's because in the church, there's some false teaching going on right now. And John wants to make sure that the churches know this is a legitimate document. It's legitimate from me. And here is the letter of recommendation for the guy who's delivering it. So you can know that it is truth and that I'm the one who's writing this letter. Well, John is looking at a couple of different things that are going on in the first century church. And one is this idea of Gnosticism. Now, it's, it's kind of a different approach to Christianity. Uh, Gnosticism, the key word there is gnosis, which is the Greek word for knowledge. And so there were many people within the church who believed they had a special knowledge about who God was, who Jesus really was, and how they're really called to live life. This message or this special knowledge was import, uh, imported to them directly from God or from those who had received the, that message from apostles. Now, this message really was this idea that, that you may really not need Jesus Christ to know God, that, that that may not be a part of the puzzle, and I can actually walk and journey in this Christian life without you. I can do it on my own. So if you had that knowledge, if you understood where that was coming from, then you kind of might think of yourself as a little bit better than other Christians in the church. I've got the knowledge, you really don't. So that makes me maybe a little bit better. Along with that is a, another branch of Gnosticism called Docetism. Docetism said that Jesus really wasn't everything that he claimed to be. In other words, Jesus was a man right up until his baptism, when the Spirit came upon Jesus and then left him right before crucifixion. 
And the idea is there that, that the flesh is so carnal, it is so sinful, and Jesus, or rather God, is so spirit-led, so full of holiness and greatness, that the two really can't be together in the same, uh, same space. And so Jesus, as the Son of God, really wasn't everything that is made out to be in the Gospels. Well, John is writing this letter to combat those two different ideas. He wants the church to know what we have been teaching is truth. And he starts out his first part of the letter there in chapter 1. He says, we have seen with our own eyes. We have touched God and Jesus Christ with our own hands. We have heard the words from Jesus himself. We've been in his presence. Understand that we are a firsthand eyewitness to what Jesus has said we as the church should be about, what we should look like. And so John is wanting to tackle this very idea as uh, we take a look into the Word of God this morning. John is extorting uh, the community that is receiving this letter, saying we're really called to love each other. We're called to journey together. We can't do this on our own. We need Jesus Christ, but we also need one another for the journey There's no real spiritual hierarchy within the church. Paul alludes to this in his writing when you look all through it, but especially when you look at Galatians chapter 3. Paul says, listen, there is neither slave nor free. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither male nor female. We're all the same in Christ Jesus. There's no one that's any more special than the next follower of Christ. And the single most inclusive commandment that John wants to make very clear in this letter to the church is directly from the Lord, and it's found in John chapter 15 and verse 12, where he says, this is my commandment, that you're to love each other in the same way that I have loved you. That Jesus himself says, listen, I laid down my life for you. I've gone to, to the nine, nines and back. I mean, I've done everything possible. To, to show you how much I love you. And that's the type of love that you're to have one for another. It is necessary for us to journey together. It's necessary in our life to acknowledge Jesus Christ as the blessing that gives us all that we have. And that's what differentiates us from the world around us, is that we're, we're not out for each other, but we're going to bat for one another. We live life together. It's this idea of fellowship. So what is fellowship? Well, this whole letter is going to address that very idea. We're going to unpack it as we go through these next few weeks. But it's to really mirror our Christian journey. As we start out in life, we start with baby steps and understanding Jesus on very elementary level. But then we grow and we learn what it means to walk in the light, to be the person God's created us to be, how he's called us to be. But we are called to live together. And so let's begin our text in 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. John says, this is the message we heard from Jesus, and now declare to you that God is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth, but if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and it's the blood of Jesus, his son, that cleanses us from all sin. John is right away making his plea to understand who Jesus really is, that we cannot get to our creator 
unless we have Jesus in the mix, that we really in this life are called to journey and have fellowship one with another. He points to his own gospel, and in John chapter 8, you'll look at, uh, through the gospel of John, there's a lot of language that's uh, mirrored in 1 John. But Jesus is recorded as saying in John chapter 8 and verse 12, I am the light of the world. And he says, God is light. See, Jesus and God are the same. We, we can't get to God without Jesus. It's his life that cleanses us and makes us everything that we're called to be. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. You'll never be in darkness as long as you live in me. Now, is it possible if we're walking in the light, if, if we're moving forward in our Christian faith, is it possible to be without sin? Well, the Bible tells us that that is not possible, which is even more reason why we need Jesus. That's why he came to earth. He put on flesh and he walked among us and he had an example for us to follow as he loved the people around us and followed God's commandment to the very end where the cross lay. We've got that example to imitate Jesus. We're called to live like him, but we're going to fall along the way. Paul tells us that in Romans chapter 3 when he says, all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And he goes on in Romans chapter 6 to say, and the wages of falling down is death. But the cool thing is, church, is that we've got Jesus Christ on our side. He has gone to bat for us. He he conquered death. He's conquered everything. And so we put our trust and our faith in Him, knowing that He is interceding for us with God. Because when God looks at us now, if we find ourselves in Christ, He doesn't see me. He sees His Son. And because of that, we have hope of eternal life, of being with Him forever. And the older we get in our Christian walk, the more solid we become in our decision-making the more we understand how God's called us to live, how he wants us to live, and we get better and better. But we do start out with those baby steps, don't we? And so I want to start out today by looking at your first steps in our Christian walk. Because if you're going to follow Jesus Christ, you've got to get moving. Even if that means you might make a mistake along the way, even if that means you might lose your balance and fall down along the way, we still are beginning to move forward. And you and I, that begins with admitting that we need Jesus in our life. That we need his cleansing blood in our life. You and I have to admit that we have a problem. And we need Jesus to correct that problem for us. So many times in our Christian walk, we start out gung-ho, but we end up kind of falling down along the way. We learn, we put people around us to help, help us make those wise decisions. And I found this video that's great of kids, and you'll, you'll get a kick out of this because it resembles our spiritual walk in so many ways. We start out thinking we know what we're doing, but then gravity takes over and some other things happen. Let's watch.
Now, I debated on that video because, you know, as Christians, we really shouldn't be laughing at that, should we? <laughs> but it does give a great example of how we start out in life many times in our Christian journey. We, we get going and get out of balance, out of whack, and we fall down, and sometimes we can get frustrated about that. But we're reminded in our letter here that John tells us those moments are going to happen. But we've got to make sure that we're open with God, that we confess our sin to Him, that we actually have people around us that we can confess to as well, that will help us on our journey. Take a look at verse 8 beginning. John says, If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, We are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our heart. John says, look, ultimately we're going to fall down. It doesn't matter where you are on your spiritual journey. There's going to be a moment when you make a mistake, when you mess up, and it is going to be so incredibly important that you and I have a relationship with Jesus Christ because that's what's going to help us back up, get back on our feet, so to speak. You've had that moment when uh, your, your kiddo or your grandchild took their first steps. Maybe you were present in that moment. Uh, and you saw it happening. And, and today we've got social media and the ability to record those kind of things quickly and post them uh, on, the, on the Internet. You, were, you wanted to scream from the mountaintop, right? Hey, my kid finally learned how to walk. He took one step in front of the other, walked all the way across the room. You have those moments where you are so excited. And, and in our Christian journey, it's the same way. Maybe you remember being at camp one summer and you just got on fire for God. And you maybe even got baptized at camp or the first Sunday back at your home church. But you remember that, that moment in time, don't you? It was an exciting moment for you. You were ready to take on the world. You could do anything. Satan was not going to get you. And then you find yourself somewhere, maybe months, maybe weeks, only away from that moment. And you find yourself right back where you used to be. Maybe in your life it's, it's, it's anger. Maybe you found yourself, you thought you had that kind of wrapped up and you you had it under control, but the way you treat people and and those anger outbursts seem to kind of creep back in. Or maybe it's it's the lustful thoughts that entered your mind and you thought you'd left that far behind. Maybe it's the desire to have nice things and money and you'll do anything to get that. And so living in the right part of town, in the right house, driving the right car, those things mean something to you. It used to not, but now you're back there again. Maybe you wanted to make a little more money and so you discovered in your business how to cut corners just a little bit so that you could beef up what your income might be. Maybe it was some kind of substance 
uh, dependence that you were involved in and you had left that for a moment, but now you find yourself creeping back into that moment of your life. Maybe for you, it's, it's your marriage. It was on the rocks, but now you've made a decision to, to get it back to where it needs to be. But now you find yourself, while you're under that, that roof and no one else can see, there are harsh words that are passed back and forth. There are emotional and mental breakdowns that happen where you're not really that compassionate about the person that you live with anymore. Those first steps in our Christian walk are often closely followed by our first fall. But you and I, John tells us, that we're called to confess that Jesus is Lord, to confess our shortcomings to him, and he will make it right, to confess to those around us who are journeying with us as well. Maybe you remember in your own life or with your child or grandchild the, the bicycle that had the training wheels and they were out in the driveway just making donuts and circles and going crazy. And then they came when you took those training wheels off and mom or dad stood back and holding that bike seat as they learned how to balance and pedal at the same time. Not chew gum as well. We're not going to do that. We're only doing two things at a time. But eventually they learned how to balance and pretty soon they're riding up and down the street without you. You see, our Christian walk is... It kind of starts out that way. We start out with the training wheels. We, we start out small, understanding what God wants us to do. And John's telling us, even in those moments, there are going to be moments to fall. And we need to have Jesus Christ in our life. Because what happens when you do fall? You stand back up. That's what we do as people of God. We can't stay on the ground If you're wanting to move forward in your relationship with God, you get up and you get after it again. You try one more time. Now, John is is old when he's writing this letter to the churches. uh, And so he views the churches as kind of his children. He's kind of taking care of them. Uh, In a couple of his letters, he calls himself the elder. So he starts out in chapter 2 and verse 1 by saying, My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin, but... If anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of the world. Church, this is something to say amen for. If you've got your Bible, you need to circle that, put an asterisk by those two verses, because they mean something to you in your Christian walk. It means that you and I don't have to go the way of darkness, that we can walk in the light because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. But how do you respond when you fall? I mean, do you, do you stay down? Do you wallow around in it for a while? Or do you take Jesus' hand and stand back up and try again? Because see, once the light, and God is light, Jesus is the light of the world, once the light has revealed and exposed the darkness for what it really is, and church, let me tell you this morning, that whatever Satan is dangling in front of you, that darkness, that other than Jesus thing, whatever he's promising you, it will not ever add up to what he's saying, and it will never add up to what Jesus Christ can offer you, ever. Once the light has exposed the darkness, then we move forward walking with Jesus. And if you're like me, there are moments when you get discouraged because you're right back where you said you'd never be again. The tenth time, I didn't want to make that decision. And you may ask a question like, what is the point? 
I'm just going to keep on messing up. I can't be perfect. But glory be to God that Jesus Christ is a God of second chances and third chances. I mean, think about your own kids for just a moment. I mean, I mean in, in that moment when you are disciplining your child, when, when, when they do something wrong once or twice or the eighth time, you, you don't stop loving them, do you? You don't walk away from them and decide you're not going to discipline anymore, do you? No, no, we we don't do that as parents. God does not do that with us. Jesus Christ does not walk away from us. Chuck Swindell once said, Stumblers who stay down when they fall are a dime a dozen. They are useless. But... When they get up after falling, they are as rare as rubies, and they are priceless. Verse 2 reminds us that Jesus is our sacrifice. He is everything to us. He is a personal Savior, a huge Savior that no burden is too great to lay at His feet. He said, when you are weary and heavy laden, come to me and I'll give you rest. Give your burden to me. I'll make sure that you make it through this life. You see, Satan knows that he's heading to a godless void, to to an abyss where there is no joy, there is no God. It is absolutely dark. And he wants to take as much of God's creation with him as possible. And so, in the realm of that idea, misery loves company. And so Satan is going to begin attacking your marriage Satan is going to be attacking your kids and your parenting of those kids. Satan is going to start attacking your bank account and your job, your credibility. Satan is going to go after everything that he can to make you give up walking in the light. And I hope your resolve is like mine. Even though I fall, I'm going to get back up and keep on moving. I hope that you're thinking in that way. But how and, and where... Are you walking? I mean, even if you find that you've made a poor decision, will you decide to get up and keep moving forward? Some of our family this morning are going to participate in witnessing to us how God's changed their life through Jesus Christ. We're going to play Mercy Me Flawless in the background as they come to the stage. And I want you to know this part of our family is so incredibly brave pulling back the curtain and letting you see a piece of their life that once was but no longer exists because Jesus has done what he said for them that he promised to do. Thank you, family, for sharing with us, letting us know a piece of your life that that Jesus Christ has forgiven. He's helped you move forward in. And I know that each and every one of us resonate with those that were on the stage. We've all got baggage, don't we? We've all got stuff that we need to give to God through his son, Jesus Christ. To say, I'm going to stay in the light. I'm not going to live in the darkness anymore. That I'm going to embrace the blessing that Jesus Christ is for me. I'm going to let go of the hate and the anger. I'm going to let go of the burden that's been on my shoulders for so long. I'm going to let it go. And that's what repentance is. It's saying, I'm going to turn around 180 degrees. I'm going to live life like God's called me to live. Like I've been created to live. I'm going to live in the, in the light and not in the darkness. I'm going to move toward the sun. 
The half-brother of Jesus, James, in chapter 4 and verse 8, he says, as you move closer to God, he moves closer to you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And so when we fall, when that moment happens and Jesus reaches out his hand, we stand up and then we continue to walk again. As Christians in our life, we live in the light. We live in the love of Christ. John says in verse 3, And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. We're going to get everything right all the time? No. Is our heart's desire going to be to follow him in every way possible? Yes. And there are moments where we're going to fall down, we're not going to make a great decision, and Jesus Christ will be there to heal those wounds. I mean, think about your own kids at home. Maybe even when you were growing up, there were household chores and rules that had to be met, right? Maybe some of those were, you've got to be in bed on school night by 10, 10, uh, 10 p.m. You've got to make sure and do your homework right when you get home. Okay, maybe 30 minutes of SpongeBob, but then the homework has to happen. You got to get up early on Saturday morning and mow the yard. That's part of being a part of this family. Get the trash out on Tuesdays and Fridays. Did they always comply? Did they always do those things? Did you always do those things? I guess the answer would probably be not always. But as a parent, do we do we walk away from that? Do we not love anymore? Do we not discipline anymore? How do you model failure in your home? Because for so many of us, we look to our mom and dad and see God through them. Do you hold on to anger or do you show grace, mercy, and love? You see, verse 3 tells us that God's love language is obedience to him. And we're called to love God and love other people. That's how we're called to live this life called the Christian walk. And John keeps talking in verse 4. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. And how do we know how Jesus lived his life? We go back and we read the Gospels. And what we find time after time in Jesus' life is how he loved God by obeying God, even to the point of the cross. God, I will do whatever you call me to do in order to make your plan come to fruition. Not only that, but he loved everyone that he came in touch with. It didn't matter where they came from, who they were, how much money they had in the bank or didn't have. It didn't matter if they had leprosy or they were healthy. It didn't matter if it was man, woman. It did not matter to Jesus. He loved everyone. And he loved his Father. And so we are called to live like Jesus too. And that is God's hope for us in our life. That we will walk in the light. That we will walk and love and live like Jesus lived. You remember the example we gave of the training wheels and mom or dad letting the seat go until finally you're on your own out there on the street. Here's the blessing with Jesus Christ. It happens in our Christian walk too. Jesus is there to help balance us. The difference is Jesus never leaves us. And he's with us the entire journey. So that when we do fall, he'll be right there to help pick us back up again.
What a beautiful picture we've been painted by Jesus Christ in his life of how we're called to live in the light. We are called to love those around us and love God by the way that we live our life for his glory. I'm going to call the praise team back to the stage at this time. And our shepherds and their wives will be gathered along the wall of this room. And my guess is that in our audience today, we've got folks who, who may have been holding on to something that's been keeping you down and keeping you away from fully investing and walking in the light and being the person God created you and called you to be. And so I want to call you this morning as you stand and sing in a moment that you would think about where your walk is. What's hindering you from being everything that God's created you to be? And maybe you've already embraced that and you've moved on and you're, you're headed down the road with Jesus Christ. You're walking in the light. You probably saw when you came in two tables on either side of the auditorium. They've got small pieces of cardboard on them. But it's your opportunity as we sing to go to one of those tables and write how you were before Jesus and then how Jesus changed your life. Take that home with you as a reminder of how we're called to live and walk in the light of Jesus Christ. Let's stand and sing together.